Well, good morning. It is good to be with you all this morning. What a delight I've already had in singing praises with God with you all. And what a great thing that we get to open up God's word together. If you don't know this about me yet, you will know now. I love lawyer shows and lawyer movies. I just do. Uh, I think I live vicariously through them. I know, I know. You know, we see, we see the defendant going into court accompanied by his lawyer, and we see that sometimes the lawyer gets the guys' charges acquitted, sometimes not. But you know something that we never see? We never see the roles reversed. Can you imagine with me this morning uh, seeing the lawyer on trial for the crime his client committed? Can you imagine that a judgment of guilty is made and the death penalty is carried out and it's the attorney who dies instead of the defendant? Maybe some of you would like that. That would be totally bizarre. It would actually be wrong if the attorney had done nothing wrong. And yet that's exactly what we see in our passage this morning. Jesus, our sinless advocate, receives the punishment that we, the guilty, deserve. And it's horrific, it's shocking, and yet as we've been singing about this morning, it's humbly wonderful. So let's consider why together this morning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. Uh, inside your bulletin, inside the sermon notes, has our sermon passage. You can read right along with that and see exactly where we are going to be. And so we are finishing the Gospel of Mark, not this morning, but next week. And so we are in the story of life and ministry of Jesus. We are on Jesus' last day. We are in the day of Jesus' birth, the early morning, three years after his public ministry. And we've been going through it, and we have the verse of the series uh, that we've been memorizing, working on, that helps us understand what the gospel of Mark is all about. So this is Mark chapter 14, verses 24 to 25. Let's say that together that you see on the screens. Let's read it out loud together. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Amen for that reality. Let me pray for our time in God's word. Heavenly Father, we are so infinitely indebted to you in sending Jesus to take our place on the cross. And so, God, we pray that this morning, through your word and by your spirit, you would help us to think intentionally, deliberately, and purposefully in what that means for our lives. And so, God, would you work in our hearts by your spirit this morning through Mark chapter 15, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of text to go through this morning. So let me give you a roadmap of where we're headed. 
that if you leave early, if you fall asleep because I'm boring, if something happens, th- this we want you to get a walk away with this r- truth, okay? This is what I think the Gospel of Mark in Mark 15 verses 20 through 47 is trying to say to us this morning. Here, here's what we need to hear. We need to mourn because the king has died, but we also need to rejoice for he has secured our place with God. We need to mourn because the king has died, but we need to rejoice also because he has secured our place with God. And so we're going to look at our passage this morning in just kind of three easy sections. We're going to look at the crucified king, we're going to look at a dead son, and we're going to look at a buried Jesus. So let's look at the crucified king, beginning in verse 20 of Mark chapter 15. Here's God's word for us today. We begin with the second half of verse 20. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Well, let's look at this crucified king. You know, I was recently watching a TV show, and there was this scene where this other uh, country came and invaded another country, and they had just killed the king. Uh, They had just killed his sons, and, they, and, his, and the king's grandson was about to be killed because he was part of the king's bloodline. And so in this scene, the soldier picks up this infant and walks him up to the top of the guard wall and drops him off the side of it to death. I couldn't watch it, actually. It made me flinch. It made my stomach turn sick. I had to quickly press the, the Netflix thing like 10 seconds ahead a few times to, to try to get it away. You see, often we want to turn our heads away from difficult scenes. But this morning, there's no turning away of our heads. There's no skipping ahead of what we are seeing today. Remember the last several hours before our passage. Jesus had been betrayed by his own. He had been abandoned by his disciples. He had been arrested. He'd been condemned as deserving death by the Jewish council. He was delivered to Pilate where he was mocked 
and spit on and beaten and scourged. You, you guys remember that, right? It's where they take this whip and there's several long strands and on the ends of them have the bone in it so that as they whip people, you know, it makes a greater effect. Now the Jewish law said that they could not scourge someone more than 39 lashes. So there was always 40 minus one. But guess what? The Romans didn't abide by the Jewish law. So we don't actually know how many times Jesus was hit. Okay, so that, that's happening right before Jesus is going to the cross. And it is so bad. We, we begin with the second half of verse 20 where it says, and they led him out to crucify him. But we see that Jesus was unable to carry even the cross beam of his cross to Golgotha where he would be crucified. Now it was the law that the guilty had to carry his cross or, or the cross beam to the place of execution. Remember that Roman crucifixion was the most cruel and horrifying punishment reserved for non-Roman citizens and it was excessively cruel that was unleashed on slaves, on violent criminals, and prisoners of war. Oh yeah, and a guy named Jesus, who doesn't fit any of those categories. Jesus couldn't carry his cross, and so they compelled Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross. You guys remember Simon Peter, who promised to be with Jesus even to death? but he was nowhere to be found. Simon Peter did not carry the cross. Simon of Cyrene did instead. It was the wrong Simon. Remember, Jesus calls his disciples that if anyone would follow after Jesus, he says from Mark 8, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, Jesus says. Well, Simon of Cyrene becomes the first person in the Gospel of Mark to literally fulfill that command. Obedience is not easy, but it does bring God glory. Now, Mark giving three names to describe Simon of Cyrene is a bit unusual, uh, in part because most likely he was unknown to his Roman audience that he was writing to. But what's interesting is that by giving his sons names, it's most likely that his sons were known by the Roman church. And so scholars believe that, that the Rufus in Paul's letter to Rome in Romans chapter 16 is the same Rufus whose dad carried Jesus' cross. And so I think it's worth considering, even for a moment, of Simon of Cyrene's faithfulness in carrying the cross of Jesus and the impact resulting in his son's participation in the faith and in the church. So parents, don't underestimate what we model for our children. Christian, don't underestimate what we model for one another. Your Christian life does not need to portray perfect triumphalism, but only a true, humble following of Jesus, especially when it's hard. Because until Jesus returns, we are not the church triumphant. We are instead the church that follows Jesus with our crosses on our backs. Simon of Cyrene carried the cross from, from the governor's house to the place of execution. 
that journey, uh, the, the last leg of Jesus' journey, is still commemorated by, by Christians in Jerusalem today. And what we see is that this Good Friday passage, our passage, is actually the coronation passage for the king of the universe. What we are reading, in fact, is in the heart of the coronation of the king. Notice all the kingly references that we've been seeing. Pilate has identified him as the king of the Jews. Jesus was mocked at the governor's headquarters with a purple royal cloak. And then they give him a crown, even though it's mockingly. They, they even pay homage to Jesus in a mocking way, right? They, they, they say, hail king to him. And so this is the coronation day for the king whose kingdom is not of this world, but will return in the clouds of heaven. That's why Paul wrote of Jesus in Philippians 2, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, friends, that's a description of Jesus as king. And so at the place of the skull, Jesus, if you guys remember the movie Frozen and Coronation Day, this is the coronation of the king. Jesus was then offered a sedative of wine and myrrh, which he refused. It's interesting. I, I, was, I was thinking about it even last night of how myrrh was offered to Jesus at, at his birth. Myrrh is now being offered to Jesus at his death. And Mark 15, verse 24 in our passage, it, just as Psalm 22 foretold, they divided Jesus' belongings among themselves. Listen to Psalm 22 and compare it with verse 24 of our passage. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Exactly what happens in Mark 15. And so Mark noted the time of the day when they crucified Jesus, the third hour, or, or 9 a.m., and the official charge, the king of the Jews. Friends, the cross was not a private event. Jesus was not alone in his crucifixion. He was crucified with two others. And Mark describes uh, them as insulting Jesus too. And, and it was on a public, busy road, uh, which was a, uh, so crucifixion was a form of control by the Romans, and it was part of the humiliation of crucifixion. Often those who were crucified were hung at eye level, so that people who were coming into the city on the big road, as they passed by, they could mock that person as they strolled into town. That's exactly what they did in our passage. Look at verse 29 with me. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. 
Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Well, friends, notice two things that the people are doing while they're mocking Jesus. First, they are mocking what Jesus taught. They're rejecting what Jesus taught about the destroying of the temple. That was things that Jesus talked about. And, and while they misunderstood him, it was still a, a rejection of what he taught. But, but that's surprising when we remember the Gospel of Mark in its entirety. R- remember how the beginning of the Gospel of Mark goes in chapter 1? On the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. But then the other thing that we see happening with the scribes or with the chief priests um, and the scribes is that they are rejecting what Jesus did. That they are refusing to believe the miraculous signs pointing us to Jesus being the Messiah. Right? Saving others, but he can't save himself, they said. Well, I think it begs the question, were there signs that showed that Jesus was the Messiah? Well, there were many signs. And people realized it. In Mark 1, that same passage, when Jesus taught in the temple, uh, there was also this man with an unclean spirit. And Jesus cast it out, confirming his authority over even the demons. Mark 1 says this, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Well, the result of Jesus' teaching and his powerful miracles were astonishing. In fact, that very next section in Mark chapter 1, Mark records this. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Brothers and sisters, there were signs. Three years of signs, in fact. Jesus was so popular, he couldn't even enter towns because the people flocked to him. Jesus even raised Lazarus from the dead, and people saw Lazarus alive after they saw him dead. There's an 18th century philosopher named Voltaire, and he said this, I know when I've seen a watch, I can assume a watchmaker. When I look at the world, I can therefore assume a world creator. Friends, proof for the existence of God is all around us. And so we could also rightly say of Jesus, when we look at all that Jesus taught and did, then we know that there is a Messiah, that he is the Christ, the King. So then why were the scribes and the chief priests asking for burden of proof from Jesus while he hung on the cross? Come down off the cross so that we may see and believe, they said. Why would they do that? Well, because they suffer from the same heart condition that we all have. We all naturally have hard hearts. 
We see evidence, but we suppress it with our sinfulness. Paul says that very thing in Romans chapter 1. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, the ironic thing was that they were calling for Jesus to save himself, but that wasn't his mission. It wasn't his goal. Unlike Pilate, right? Pilate had to end up saving himself with the crowd. No, Jesus didn't come to do that. Jesus didn't come to save himself. He didn't come to be served. Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for others. In Jesus' crucifixion, we therefore have hope. In our struggles, we can be faithful in them because Jesus endured even a crucifixion for us. That's the point of what Hebrews 12 says. Consider him, Jesus, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Well, friends, as we consider how Jesus endured such hostility against himself, the author of Hebrews is saying that should be fuel for us to not grow weary or faint-hearted in our Christian lives. So ironically, if you are struggling in your faith right now, if you're considering of packing it in and walking away from it all, consider all that Jesus endured. Consider what he accomplished by going to the cross. The reality is that Jesus went to the cross for us. So we can mourn because the king has died, but we can rejoice because he has secured our place with God. Let's continue looking at what Mark writes about this dead son, beginning in verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. So this horrific scene is not over because the king is not yet dead. 
And so Mark records a darkness from noon until 3 p.m. from or the 6th to ninth hour uh, that, that covered the land. At the time when it should have been brightest for the whole day, it was dark. And so even in the Roman worship of the sun, God displays his power even over that. And so then in verse 34, Jesus cries out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, quoting Psalm 22, crying out to God, is feeling the same agony that began in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why is the Father not rescuing Jesus from the cross? Well, because this must happen. This was the plan before the foundation of the world. And the end will be glorious, but the agony of the cross is unimaginable. And so some mistakenly thought Jesus was calling for Elijah. If that seems weird to you, don't worry, that's okay. Uh, popular Judaism believed that Elijah had been taken bodily up into heaven without dying and so that he would return in times of crisis to, to protect and rescue the righteous. And so th their thought was, if Jesus really is righteous, then God would spare him from suffering and death. After all, Deuteronomy 21 says that everyone who hangs from a tree is under God's curse. But the bystanders fail to see that Jesus actually is fulfilling God's plan of redemption by his suffering, by his giving of his life as a ransom and taking the curse of humanity upon himself. And then also, Jesus taught in the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. He says, and as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it was written of him. And so John the Baptist in the function like Elijah had come preparing the way for Jesus. And now in verse 37, in one final last cry, Jesus died. You know, I grew up in church my whole life. I was in church whenever the doors were open. But growing up in church so often, I found myself in churches that made more of Mother's Day than Good Friday. It's easy to go from Palm Sunday to Easter morning, from palm branches to an empty tomb, without giving the proper attention to thinking about the cross of Jesus. The cross has become common in architecture and in jewelry, and we need this morning to gaze upon the cross of Christ in all of its ugliness, in its beauty, in its death and in its healing, in the painful price paid, and in the free gift of grace given. See, at the cross, an innocent man was delivered up by God to be sacrificed. An innocent man was made sin on behalf of others. Remember, this is during the Passover, 
Jesus became the lamb that died for the sake of others. And so we need to consider the result of sin. We need to consider the result of our sin against God. Jesus is charged as the king of the Jews. It's the king who lays down the law. It's the king who releases prisoners or condemns them. And yet here, it's the king who went to die for us. Jesus died for sin, but not for his own, for ours. But in a very real way, Jesus became sin for us. He became all of our rebellion, all of our lying, all of our cheating, all of our adultery, all of our filth, all of our ugliness. He became that all on the cross. Jesus became the embodiment of everything that was sin so that by faith in his work on the cross, we would become like him by being covered in his blood, washed clean and brought into the family of God. Often we want to have a Jesus without a bloody cross. But it's through the cross that our sin is paid for. And so we must pause and remember the cross. That's why we see th sing things like, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever till my ransomed soul shall find rest beyond the river. The Christ came down and was crucified not to save himself, but to save others by giving of himself. Remember the words of Jesus in John 10. For this reason the Father loves me, Jesus says, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I receive from my Father. And so that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life. He went to the cross. He breathed his last. And then two things happened. Number one, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Our access to God is no longer through a single temple, but through Jesus who is the true temple. It's no longer exclusively for Jews, but now free for people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And then the second thing that happened is that a Roman guard who must have had a lifetime of watching people be crucified he watched Jesus die, and his eyes opened and believed. In fact, the whole purpose of the gospel writings is for everyone to come to that same conclusion. Consider Matthew 1. When, when Matthew is giving all those genealogies, it's to show that the Christ, the Messiah, has come from David, and his name is Jesus. Or think of the Gospel of John when Jesus is calling his disciples and Nathanael answers him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Friends, we therefore need to display in our lives, in our relationships, and in our priorities, 
we need to display Christ's death. The death of Jesus on display for people to consider their lives and how their sin can be covered is what is used to make disciples. Notice it wasn't until Jesus' death that the Roman guard realized that Jesus is the true Son of God. It's true, there must be a resurrection. But there's no need for a resurrection if there's no death in the first place. And so we not only need the resurrection of Jesus, but we need the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so let the death of Christ compel you this morning and think, wow, God sent Jesus and he went through that for me. Let the death of Christ compel you to believe and then put it on display for others to believe also. Because Jesus laid down his life for us, we are then called to repent and turn away from sin and to deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily and follow him. And we are called to call others to do the same thing. Maybe you're a non-Christian here this morning and you're thinking, man, I was just trying to get inside before it started snowing. And I, we think there's no better place for you to be here. We think that it's an honor that you're here even listening to God's word this morning. I, I wonder how you see Jesus in this passage. Is he the failed king that those who mocked him believed him to be? What if he really is the son of God? Like the Roman guard proclaimed, come down from heaven to ransom us. Well, the best news that you could hear this morning is that everything that you've always wanted to keep a secret because it's been shameful, everything that you've ever done that was wrong in your life, every piece of dirty laundry that you never want other people to know is covered by Jesus who went to the cross to die for you. What a sweet exchange that by faith, you can be forgiven of everything, everything you've even done, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said. What a sweet exchange that by faith we can be forgiven when we turn from our sin and place our trust in Jesus. It's the very reason why he died was so that others would come to him and live. So don't wait a single moment. Come to Jesus today. If you want to talk more about that, find me after the service. I'd love to, to spend time talking with you. Friends, we can mourn that the king has died, but rejoice because he has secured our place with God. Let's look at this final part. A buried Jesus. Beginning in verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. 
And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Well, to the mockers, Jesus was a failed king. To the seekers, Jesus was the beloved son of God. And what about the faithful followers? He was the Passover lamb. These two women that were named, Mary Magdalene and Mary the the mother of Joseph, followed at a distance. They had been with Jesus in Galilee, and they followed him. But there were many other women that verse 41 says came up with him to Jerusalem. They watched what happened. They watched where Jesus was buried. While Mark does not sugarcoat it at all with the disciples, he honors women in a way that we should not miss. Who is it that anoints Jesus for his burial? It's not one of the 12 disciples. It's a woman. Women are looking from a distance and didn't abandon Jesus like Simon Peter or all of the other disciples. Of all the people to have the honor of first hearing about the resurrection, it's these two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph. Women are also the first called to share of the resurrection with Peter and the disciples. And so we this morning need to hear and recognize the essential role of women when we as a church want to follow Jesus. Women have an important part in the gospel of Jesus. It's easy to think that in a conservative Baptist church that they don't matter, but we'd be wrong. In every way we want to affirm the truth of the Bible, we must also recognize who are people that the Bible gives honor to. And so if we want a healthy church that is all about the gospel, well, then we need to have a church where both men and women are discipling, encouraging, and sharing gospel implications in our lives. So women of Friendship Baptist Church, know that you are in a good line of other women that, that Jesus honors, that the gospel of Mark honors. So share your faith. Pour into other women. Consider being a discipleship group for a leader for the youth. What a great place to share of the resurrection of Jesus to others. Notice important information about Jesus' death. Things that are going to be important for us next week also. The centurion whose Life depended on him guarding people, affirmed that Jesus was dead. He was a respect, uh, Pilate granted Jesus' body to be buried. Joseph of Arimathea wrapped Jesus in the burial cloth, placed him in the tomb, sealed the tomb with a large stone, and other eyewitnesses could account for all of this. That's going to be important next week. Okay, hold on to that. That's going to be important for Mark 16. 
But notice also the other faithful follower of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea. He was part of the council that condemned Jesus to die. He was a respected man who was also looking for the kingdom of God. And so in our passage, in verse 43, it says, he took courage. Well, what does that mean? Well, he was part of the group that condemned and rejected Jesus. And now he's one wanting to honor Jesus by having him buried. He was looking for the king of God and the, the kingdom of God and took courage to follow Jesus. I think it's right for us to see this morning that following Jesus takes courage. Being a Christian is never something that has been popular. Following Jesus after his death and resurrection got people arrested and killed and sometimes crucified. Following Jesus is not in line with what people in power want you to do. It takes courage. I think that's I think that's one reason why I think it's good for someone who, who wants to get baptized is not always baptized immediately when they say that they're Christians. But when they have counted the cost of following Jesus, when they have been tested and have the option to shrink back and instead show courage and follow him publicly. Because following Jesus is costly. It doesn't just cost your Sunday morning. It costs our priorities, our affections, all that we have. But what every disciple of Jesus realizes is that it is worth every cost. It took courage for Joseph of Arimathea to speak up and bury Jesus' body, but he knew it was worth it. So brothers and sisters, take courage. And be loyal to Jesus. Follow him all the way to the end. Worship Jesus. Because there's no one else under heaven who has accomplished such a great salvation. Jesus is truly the Son of God. And so let us pick up our crosses and follow him. Not in idea, not in theory, but with our very lives we can mourn the king has died but we can rejoice because he has secured our place with god let us follow him till our dying breath as much as we'd want to look away from the cross let us instead intently gaze at it and recognize what it took to pay for our rebellion. Let us both mourn and rejoice at the work of Jesus to secure our place with God. The king is dead, but long live the king. Let's spend a few moments responding to God's word. We are called to be hearers and doers of God's word which means we cannot leave these doors today without being changed and transformed. That would do us no good. So let's spend a few moments asking God, what does it look like for me to respond in faith to Jesus's death today? And then I'll lead us in prayer and the, and the team will lead us in another song.
let's spend some time responding to Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you that Jesus, though he had done nothing wrong, though he was spotless and perfect, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, God, keep us near the cross. Let that be our glory ever till the day when our faith becomes sight in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, for sending the Son. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. And Spirit, thank you for saving us and working in our lives. And so, God, we pray that we would honor you with our lives because Jesus gave us his. In Christ's name we pray, amen.